You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's March 15th. Dr. Stephen Patrick is a practicing neonatologist. He regularly treats infants who have been exposed to opioids before birth, a condition called neonatal abstinence syndrome. Dr. Patrick is also a native of Bluefield, West Virginia, the kind of small rural town that has been ravaged by America's opioid crisis. When Dr. Patrick first encountered infants with opioid withdrawal symptoms, his initial reaction was confusion and, he admits, judgment. What led so many women to use opioids while pregnant? But then he heard complicated stories from mothers involving trauma and violence. It quickly became clear that the use of opioids by pregnant women couldn't be distilled down to drug use at the time of delivery. Social and economic history needed to be taken into account. In studying the problem with Vanderbilt University and RAND, Dr. Patrick found that higher rates of neonatal abstinence syndrome coincide with long-term unemployment. And here's the part that really hit close to home for Dr. Patrick— This is especially true for remote, rural areas like the one where he grew up. In fact, Mercer County, West Virginia, where Dr. Patrick's hometown is located, is a good example of these findings. Nearly 3.5% of infants born there were diagnosed with drug withdrawal in 2017. That's more than four times the national average. Dr. Patrick says that the medical care these babies and their mothers receive can go a long way, but as his research demonstrates, the opioid crisis isn't just a healthcare problem. It's also a social and economic problem. Solutions must address the need for economic development and social support that can help people in these communities lead healthier lives. The latest round of U.S.-Taliban peace talks wrapped up this week. There are reports of progress, but an agreement remains elusive. In the absence of peace in Afghanistan, the next U.S. president may face the same decision that both President Obama and President Trump have faced— This isn't a choice between winning and losing, says Rand's James Dobbins. It's a choice between losing and not losing. For example, President Obama chose not to lose in 2015 when he halted his planned withdrawal of U.S. forces. So far, President Trump has taken the same path, says Dobbins. But this choice is becoming more difficult for U.S. leaders as time goes on, and as the American public's patience grows shorter. Conversations about unintentional bias and artificial intelligence are becoming more common. This isn't surprising, because the harm unintended bias can cause is real. But intentional bias is also a concern, says Rand's Douglas Young. Why might someone knowingly introduce bias into AI? For the same reasons they hack into systems or engage in other illicit activities, says Young. Quote, You can imagine how this could become yet another front in the competitive battles that private companies fight against each other all the time. In other words, messing with data isn't new. To prevent this from happening, awareness is important, he says, because bias is a potential issue anytime AI is used to make decisions. With more eyes on the problem, it's less likely that someone could introduce bias without being detected. In a new RAND survey, we asked school principals to rate themselves as leaders. We asked whether they communicated a clear vision for their schools, set high standards for teaching, and conveyed clear expectations for their staff. The response was almost universally positive. Over 98% of principals said they were hitting the mark in these areas. Then we asked teachers the same questions. Overall, they also rated principals highly, but they were slightly less positive. 
The results suggest that a significant minority of teachers do not agree with how principals view themselves as leaders. This kind of gap in perception could get in the way of creating a cohesive school culture. The civil war in Syria has displaced about 13 million people. That's an astonishing 60% of the country's population. More than 5 million of these refugees are living in neighboring Turkey, Jordan, and Lebanon. While many Syrians are finding ways to get by, they still face barriers to sustainable employment in these host countries. There are legal constraints, sluggish economies, and generally high unemployment rates. Most Syrians who are working in Turkey, Jordan, and Lebanon are doing so without permits and without legal protections because of the cost, requirements that make businesses reluctant to hire, and the difficulty of navigating each country's bureaucracy. Rand experts recently conducted a survey to better understand the challenges that Syrians and their host countries face and how to help overcome them. They found that job matching assistance and job specific training could help, but these programs should extend to both refugees and host country workers. Other potential solutions include making it easier for refugees to obtain work permits, as well as investments in host country infrastructure, which could provide a general boost to economic health. These efforts could create opportunities for everyone and support overall stability in the Middle East. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. See you next week.